Good morning once again. Can I have you all turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3 and 4. Now if you knew this, welcome, it's good to see you. And just to let you know, we are uh, working our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Instead of doing it verse by verse, which we normally do, we're doing it topically. The topic or the theme is joy. And so we're taking that theme, joy, and we're studying it topically. And we're on number six of our main points on joy. Started it last week, a point we're calling joy in the Lord. Joy in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. As we said last time, joy in the Lord is not the same as the joy of the Lord. Joy in the Lord is a joy that is ours by virtue of us being in Christ or saved. When we got saved, we were made one with Jesus, a member of his body. And as such, we became partakers of his divine nature. Peter tells us that in 2 Peter 1 verse 4. We became partakers of his divine nature, of which joy is one of the attributes of God. Now, joy in the Lord works its way out into our lives as the joy of the Lord. It's a practical joy that others notice, a joy that often draws people to us and ultimately to Jesus, the joy of the Lord. But joy in the Lord is a personal joy that continues as we maintain our fellowship with Jesus, or uh, as he himself put it in John 15, verses 1 through 11, as we abide in him. Why don't you turn to John 15. We looked at the first 11 verses last week. I just want to start with verses 4 and 5 and jump down to verse 11, but we'll revisit chapter 15 as we go through this message. Very important passage, critical everything we'll talk about that more in a second but John 15 verse 4 where Jesus said abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing verse 11 these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And so Jesus tells us here that our joy, and again, he's talking about joy in the Lord, our joy will be full as we abide in him every day. Look, as we said last week, the core principle of this entire passage, John 15, verses 1 through 11, the core principle of this entire passage on bearing fruit in the Christian life and having fullness of joy is abiding in Christ. It's not only the heart of the passage, it's also the secret to everything in the Christian life. And that's why we've been really focusing on it. Now, we said last week that the Greek word translated abide is meno, and it means basically to remain or to continue. When it comes to abiding in Christ, there's two sides to it. There is union and then there is communion. Union with Jesus is the connection that comes when we put our faith in him, accepting him into our heart as our Lord and Savior, this is a positional connection to Jesus, which we commonly refer to as salvation. After union then comes communion, or in other words, daily fellowship with him. And this is a practical connection to Jesus that is dependent on our daily walk with him. You know, whether we walk in obedience or disobedience, whether we walk in the spirit or in the flesh, will depend on whether or not this fellowship is maintained or is broken. Now, if we don't stay in communion with Jesus every day, and I'm talking about, when I say communion, I'm talking about a deep relationship, a deep personal relationship with him as opposed to a superficial one. Every Christian who is, every person who is saved is a Christian, and they're all joined to Christ in union. But not every Christian walks with Christ in daily communion. And now that's what we're focusing on, Okay. And that really is what's at the heart of abiding in Christ. Daily communion, not something 
superficial. We're talking about something deep and intimate. But if we don't stay in communion with Jesus every day, we're never going to experience all that God desires for our lives as his children. We talked a little bit about this last week. What are these blessings? Well, victory over the flesh, the spiritual dynamic and power of the Holy Spirit, the abundant life Jesus spoke of in John 10, which includes great joy and fruit bearing, just to name a few. These are ours as children of God. By, they're our birthright. But if you don't walk with the Lord every day in close fellowship, those things won't be a reality in your life. They're available. It depends on whether or not you're walking in fellowship with him or not. So last week, we started looking at the practice of abiding. And we focused last week on four outward actions. Four outward actions. Very simply, prayer, the word of God, confession, and obedience. These are all involved in abiding in Christ. These are the outward actions of abiding. We ran out of time, but I said that this week we were going to start with looking at the inward attitude connected to abiding. You know, we often make the mistake of thinking that outward actions like, you know, reading our Bibles, going to church, praying, and serving God will result in us abiding in Jesus, when really the opposite is really true. Certainly these things are necessary if we want to keep abiding in Christ, as we have already said, but only if the motive of our heart is love. Only if the motive of our heart is love. Abiding, guys, is all about love. A deep love relationship with Jesus, which leads to obeying and serving him out of that love. Look at John 15, verses 9 and 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. When we are in love with Jesus, and all Christians love Jesus, not all Christians are in love with Jesus. It's a big difference. One speaks of union, the other communion. When we are in love with Jesus, we will want to read our Bibles. We don't have to, we get to. We'll want to read our Bibles, pray, go to church, tell others about him. But listen, the activities, responsibilities, and disciplines of the Christian life don't lead us into abiding. They result from it. They're the fruit of our abiding in Christ. Very important point. We think if we go through all the activities, it's going to somehow lead us to the place we want to be. When in reality, the place we want to be in love with Jesus will lead to everything else. That's the bottom line. I mean, yeah. Continuing going to church, staying in the word and prayer, being in fellowship with other believers will continue, will help us to continue to abide in Jesus. But first things first. First comes the inward attitude of loving Jesus. And then comes the outward actions of living for Jesus. Look, it's possible to be obedient to what God has said in his word and even serve him in ministry and still not be very close to him. You say, I don't get that. Well, reread Revelation 2, verses 1 to 5 again, where Jesus addressed a little letter to the church at Ephesus and commended them because they were serving him to the point of exhaustion. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. You've got the motions, but you've lost the emotion. And I won't stay in a loveless church. Service is great. But that deep relationship, that passion, that love, that's what I'm really after. It's kind of like when a parent tells their child to clean their room. If the child obeys, does that prove the child automatically is demonstrating love for that parent? Well, not necessarily. Their obedience could be motivated by a fear of consequences if they don't clean their room or by the promise of some reward if they obey. I'll take you out for ice cream if you clean your room. In other words, their obedience could be totally rooted in self-interest and have nothing to do with loving their parent or parents at all. The same is true with our obedience to and service for God. Our service and obedience might not be motivated by a sincere love for Jesus, but actually could be motivated by a love of self. I mean, I don't want God to be mad at me. 
because, you know, then he'll, you know, things won't go well for me, so I'll obey him. Or I really want something from God. I really want that promotion or this or that. So I'm going to obey him because I want something from him. It begs the question, what is really motivating and driving our relationship with Jesus? What is at the heart of, of why we, you know, go to church and read our Bibles and say we love him? What is really motivating our passion for him? You know, Paul's passion was, as he said in Philippians 3, all I want is that I might know him. All I want is that I might know him. Now, when Paul said that, again, in Philippians 3, he had already known Jesus for 30 years. But Paul wanted to know him more and more. Whatever love he had achieved for Jesus was never enough. He wanted to keep going deeper and deeper. He wanted a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus with each passing day. You know, the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is the state of my love for Jesus? We all need to ask ourselves, what is the state of my love for Jesus? Not the state of your, your theology about Jesus or the state of your service to Jesus, but what is the state of your love for Jesus? The Christian life is a very simple thing. It's all about loving Jesus, making him our first love, and allowing everything in our lives to revolve around him. One pastor said it well. He said, and I quote, It's all about loving Jesus totally, loving him sacrificially, loving him obediently, loving him worshipfully, loving him with our service. It's all about loving Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, end quote. But modern Christianity has all but lost that perspective. Many Christians today put themselves at the center of their Christian life and make everything about them, you know? How much God loves me. What God should do for me. What should God give to me, etc. Apparently they believe that God exists for one purpose, and that is to bless their lives. To make them happy. You know, Jesus didn't see it that way. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You have to give up your will, your rights to live for me. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, I like biographies, and so I read a biography about David Brainerd, who was a missionary back in the 1700s. And let me read to you what one biography said about him. He said, and I quote, every now and then we meet someone or read about someone who has had that close personal relationship with Christ we all think about. David Brainerd, the missionary to American Indians, Native Americans, in this country was such a man. He suffered from what was then called consumption. We know it today as tuberculosis. He would travel to the Indians by horseback, and sometimes he would have a convulsion, vomit blood, become unconscious, and fall off his horse, sometimes laying in the snow for hours. His horse learned to stay right there. And when he regained consciousness, he would crawl back onto his horse and be on his way to preach to the Indians. As he went, he would cry out, Lord Jesus, I failed you, but you know I, that I love you. He had that close, intimate relationship with Christ. Now, there are those Christians who would hear something like this and say the guy was a fanatic. Would to God we had more fanatics like David Brainerd in the church today. You can always tell a carnally-minded Christian from a spiritually-minded one. A carnally-minded Christian sees this kind of zeal and love for Jesus as an anomaly, as, a, as aberrant, the uh, results of a man who was a fanatic. A spirit-filled Christian understands this is the only way to relate to Jesus, where he's our all in all. Guys, this abiding love keeps us in fellowship with Jesus. It keeps everything we do for him motivated by love and not by fear or obligation or even selfish ambition. You know, the great thing about it is we never need to ask Jesus to love us or to abide with us. A lack of abiding is always on our part, never on his. He is in love with us, 
and wants to be with us, and he is with us always. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But he wants us to live our Christian lives like he's right there with us. We'll talk about that more in a moment. So under a new heading, the principles of abiding, I'm going to give you several points. The principles of abiding. First of all, to enter into an abiding relationship with Jesus, I must believe. That's the key word. I must believe it's possible through faith. Now, I'm not going to have you turn to all these. There's too many. But I want to read to you Galatians 2 verse 20, where Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I now live, I live by faith. Paul said it in Colossians 2, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. All right, how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord when you got saved? You received him by faith. How do you walk with him now that you are saved every day? By faith. The Christian life is a supernatural life. We can't live it. Let's just go on record right now. We cannot live this life. It's a supernatural life. It goes beyond our ability. That's why we have to look to him to live his life through us by faith. It's Jesus inside us through the indwelling Holy Spirit who is living his life through us. I know what Paul said in the book of Romans. The just shall live by faith. They get, First of all, get saved by faith. And then, of course, they live by faith. I will have you turn to this one, Ephesians 3. And I want to read verses 17 through 19. This is a prayer that Paul lifted up, a prayer that he prayed not only for the Ephesian Christians, but for all Christians back then and still today. This applies. You can read the whole prayer on your own. But he goes on to say in verse 17, this is my prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He was already in their heart. They were saved. But he's talking about the Greek word dwell means to settle down and feel at home. He wanted Jesus to feel at home in our hearts. And we aware of his presence every single day, every moment. This is my prayer that, you're, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, that's the language of abiding. And that comes through faith. You receive Christ as your Savior through faith. You walk in him daily through faith. And as you do, you abide in him. And as that happens, well, the fullness of God begins to fill your life. Victory over the flesh, fruitfulness, great joy is will be yours. It will be flooding into your life as you abide in him. I love what Andrew Murray said on the topic. And he was quoting out of John 15, commenting. He said, and I quote, We speak of a man's home as his abode. Our abode, the home of our soul, is the love of Christ. We are to live our life there, to be at home there all the day. This is what Christ means our life to be and really can make it be. Our continuous abiding in the vine is, is to be an abiding in his love. You've probably heard or read of what is called the higher or the deeper life, of the richer or the fuller life, of the abundant life. And you possibly know that some have told of a wonderful change by which their life of continual failure, Christian life, failure, stumbling, uh, had been transformed into a, into a very blessed experience of being kept and strengthened and made exceedingly glad. We, we offered the book, They Found the Secret, uh, some months back for our book of the quarter. Twenty little short biographies of people that experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit and their lives were, they were saved, but their lives were transformed. I strongly encourage you to get a copy of that book and read it. But he went on to say, you know, we've heard of people like this. Christians struggling, never having victory. And all of a sudden, they, it's like, what happened? They're more than conquerors. They're bearing fruit. They're zealous. They're, they're having victory. Well, he goes on to say they, what they really did was they figured out by reading the Bible, maybe others telling them, 
that the abundant life, this abiding life is possible. Some people read that in John 15. Why, that's great. I'll never do, I could never attain to that. My life is just, my Christian life is a joke sometimes. And Murray, uh, and uh, Murray's point is it's because people don't believe. It's a God thing. God's going to do it for you, but you've got to believe. We think we've got to try harder. Go to church more. Read the Bible longer. No, abide more. Abide more. And as you do, and you pray God by faith, I believe you've promised this to me, this abiding life, and I receive it. Jesus, you have to live your life through me. I know that. And Murray said, this is the secret of the abiding life. It's a, it's a life of faith. Now, we have some practical things to do. It's not all God. I mean, Jesus did say it. I think he does combine uh, God's part and our part very well. He said in John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you. So you've got a part, and I've got a part. I'm not going to do your part, and you can't do my part. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. One author said, Quoting out of that verse, many believers pray and long very earnestly for the filling of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of Christ and wonder that they do not make more progress. They're praying and praying, but they don't really sense it's happened, right? There's no victory. There's no real joy. So what's going on, Lord? I'm praying for this, but it's not happening. And the author says the reason is often this, the I in you, remember verse 4, abide me, and I in you. The I in you cannot come because the abide in me is not maintained. All right, under the principles of abiding, that was the first one. Second point, to enter into an abiding relationship with Jesus, I must spend quality time with him. Now, folks, these are very basic, as we said last week, but... It's often in the basics that we blow it because we don't continue walking in these foundational truths. So you want to enter into an abiding relationship with Jesus, you've got to spend quality time with him, which means, first of all, set aside some time when you can be alone and things are quiet. Now, I like the morning. I like the morning because it's quiet. Some people, you know, one pastor at a conference one time said, I'm not a morning person. So I like to stay up late when everyone goes to bed and read my Bible and pray. Great, whatever works for you. I like the morning, and a lot of the biblical writers, they enjoyed the morning too. Psalm 5, verse 3, my voice, speaking to God, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my voice, my prayers to you, and I will look look up. Something about the morning, it sets the tone for the whole day. And by the way, if you wake up and give the first part of your day to God, that's the tithe. You're giving him the tithe of the hours of your day, the first fruits. It's, it's not wrong to spend time with God at the end of the day. It's just that I like to give God first. Besides that, as I spend time with the Lord, I just feel like it sets the tone for my whole day. Psalm 88, verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. So a lot of the writers of the Bible, they were morning guys, okay? And they saw the value of starting their day with the Lord. But use this time to think and get along with the Lord and talk to him. As you read his, your Bible, talk to him. Uh, you know, thank him for promises. Meditate on his word as you're going through it. I was telling first service that when I open my Bible in the morning, uh, as I'm reading my, for my devotions, as I come across a promise, I'll stop, lay my hand on that promise, and just claim it. Lord, you've promised this to me, and thank you, and I just claim it. And I'm, So I'm praying and reading as I'm uh, doing my devotions. But it's also handy to keep a notepad close by to write down insights and other things God might be saying to you that you can meditate on and pray about all day long. All right. Number two, when you read the word, don't race through it. 
don't race through it. I was telling first service, I saw uh, on television there was a um, some Christians debating. And uh, one guy stopped and said that he read through the Bible every day. Didn't read from the Bible every day. He read the Bible every day. He speed read it. I, I, I've heard people, some people can read really fast. So even if you could read the Bible from cover to cover every day, how much are you really getting out of it? Right? I mean, for me, it's not the volume. It's the depth. When you read the word, don't raise through it. One author said, and I quote, when you read your Bible, receive and savor it like fine food. Not fast food. Fine food. Like a treasure. Like a love letter from God to you. Ponder what you have read and apply it to your present circumstances. Let it go down into the core of your being. That's the whole point. You can't speed read the Bible and let that happen. Let it go down into the core of your being. And as you read, expect him to commune with you. Paul advised in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. Some of you might be thinking, I don't know, Pastor, seems like a lot of work, what you're saying here, all this stuff. Yeah, it is. But anything worthwhile is worth working for. We have to understand that. You're only going to get out of your relationship with Jesus what you put in. Like in marriage, like in any relationship, you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. You want a dynamic walk with Christ? You want to know Jesus in a very deep and intimate way? you got to spend time with him. That's all there is to it. And when you do spend time with the Lord, number three, Talk and listen to him like a person. You know, some Christians treat the Lord in their prayer lives like they're talking at him. You know, an object instead of a person. We need to talk to Jesus as a person. Now, I know that sounds pretty basic and, you know, obvious. But in my Roman Catholic days, I just rattled my prayers up because that's what we were taught. You go to confession, the penance was, say, three Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. And you know, I don't know about you guys who were Catholic. I just put my brain in neutral and rattled them babies off. I was done. And, uh, you know. Okay, off we go, you know. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't really talking to God. I was talking to Adam, you know. And then I got that done, and off I go on to more important things. Look, the goal here is to build a relationship with a person. Talk to him the way you would talk to a friend. Tell him your fears, your concerns. Any upcoming decisions, bring before him, right? And, and don't forget to thank and praise him for his answers. I love the way Paul put it in Philippians, and I'll read it to the NLT, chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. You master that one little verse, your spiritual life is going to be greatly enhanced. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. The Greek is cast all your anxieties on him. He cares about you. Number four, keep a daily written record of what God is doing in your life. Now, guys, this is not really a diary. It's a journal. Um, I went online today to make sure that I understood the difference. And there's a lot of uh, similarities, but there are some differences. The main one being a diary, you just record anything that happens throughout the day or, different, you know, so people, you know, they're just writing all kinds of things. Yeah, I went to lunch today and had a great hot dog at uh, Portillo's. Man, you got to try. I mean, come on. I'm glad you're enjoying your hot dogs at Portillo's. And then they put that on, like, you know, social media. And all of a sudden, something pops up on Facebook, and you see a, you're looking at a meal. What's this? God bless you guys. You're getting a fine meal somewhere. Uh, enjoy it. I don't really want to see it, okay? Um, I'm glad for you, but okay. But a journal is really about your journey with God. You know, this was very big uh, with the older saints, uh, you know, you, when our country started, even, uh, as I've studied history of the 
Christians and churches, they all journaled. John Adams didn't miss an entry in his journal for tw- every day he wrote in it for 24 years. That's how committed they were. Well, what did they have, really? Sun went down, you know, you didn't jump on the computer, didn't get on TikTok, God, praise God, or Facebook. So what was left? You read, you studied the Bible, and you wrote in your journal. You journaled your thoughts and your struggles, and they wrote out their prayers. And they were all, they all had a dynamic walk, much better, I think, than most of us today. And a lot of that was because they journaled. In fact, I told you this story. We went to Virginia, I think it was. Uh, where's Williamsburg at? Is that Virginia or West Virgi- Virginia? So we went to uh, this uh, a s- a street there that they had, uh, they had done like it was in the 1700s with the shops and things, right? And so you walk around, and people were wearing period clothing and speaking uh, the way they spoke back then, you know, the old English. And so we went into a printing shop. And, and that's actually where I learned why they're called uppercase and lowercase letters. Because they kept the capital letters in the uppercase. And they pulled them out, to, and, and, and then they took the lowercase letters, the, you know, and put them all, lined them up, and then inked them, and boom put the press down, and that's how they printed a page. So the guy that was doing the tour said to us, he said, what do you think was the most, the most sold book of that time period? I raised my hand, Bible. That was second. The most purchased book in those days was a book of blank pages because they all journaled. They all journaled. So when you journal, write down your personal struggles, disappointments, victories, anything else that you need to write down that will enhance your walk with God, uh, your prayers. Don't forget to write in there when God answers your prayers. And that becomes a log. You know, David said, I remember the days of old. I don't know if he journaled. But this way you can remember the days of old and all the things God did in those days to um, answer prayers and to guide you and so on. All right, so to enter into an abiding relationship with Jesus, I must first of all believe it's possible through faith. Secondly, I must spend quality time with him. Number three, to maintain an abiding relationship with Jesus, I need to learn. I need to learn to dwell in his presence all day. We often think as Christians that these things are not learned, they just are intuitive, that we're going to absorb them through the process of osmosis, I guess. You know, and all of a sudden one day, because I've been to church 150,000 times, I'm going to be I just I'm going to be super Christian. Look, like anything else in life you have to learn, right? You have to learn to walk with God. It does not come automatically. You got to learn to be a good parent. You got to learn to be a good husband or wife. These things are important responsibilities and they don't come naturally. Some things are intuitive. But if you want to be the best you can be, you got to study and you got to learn. Same is true in your Christian life. Same is true. And you got to learn to dwell in his presence all day. I like what one busy mom named Annie said on the subject, how she accomplishes this. She's just being real. I appreciate her candor. She said, and I quote, I'm putting, away my, I'm putting away groceries, and the kids are tearing through the house with the bags over their heads screaming. Uh, I can be a little frustrated, but inside I'm saying, Jesus, you are here with me, in me, around me. Thank you for food and for my noisy kids. She said, I'm not always successful at this, but I try. I try to take Jesus with me wherever I go. We keep each other constant company, end quote. Well, look, we know he's always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We know that theologically, but practically, we, sometimes we forget completely he's with us. If Christians would, when they leave the house or anywhere they go, take Jesus with them in the sense that they acknowledge his presence and they're talking with him as they're driving along. the. That's how you pray without ceasing. Whether you're walking or driving or whatever you're doing, you're bringing Jesus into the conversation and everything else. If we did that as Christians, first of all, we'd be a lot stronger in our walk with him. And secondly, we would have a lot less sin in our lives if we knew we were standing right there. All right, real quickly. We've looked at the definition of abide, the nature of abiding, practice of abiding, the principles of abiding. Number five, 
overcoming barriers to abiding. This is a very important subject. We, and the devil's going to want to get you. He's going to try to stop you from abiding in Christ. Because as you abide in Christ, the stronger you get, the more of a threat to his kingdom you become, right? Overcoming barriers to abiding. First of all, realize that abiding is not based on feelings. It's a big one. Abiding is not based on feelings. Abiding, as we said already, is an act of faith. Believing that God loves you and wants to spend time with you and believing that, as James promised us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a matter of faith. So often we believe that if I spend time with God and I don't feel his presence or have an emotional rush when I'm spending time with God, that means God isn't there. Or maybe that my relationship with him is defective. Not necessarily. The problem with that is that after a few days of, th of looking to my feelings, I get discouraged. And then I quit. And I say something like, abiding didn't work for me. I didn't feel anything. That's the problem. You have to walk by faith, not by sight or by feelings. So you come to Jesus and say, Lord, I tried to abide, but I, I didn't feel your presence. I didn't feel anything. What did I say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, but Lord, I, I, I spent all that time trying to, to, to get into your presence and trying to, to feel your presence, but I felt nothing. Walk by faith and not by sight. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The devil is a master manipulator of our feelings. He's going to try to get you to think because you don't feel something, nothing's happening. One author put it well. He said, and I quote, We understand this in our marriages and other significant relationships. My love for my wife is constant, but my feelings for her are far different during an argument than they are during a candlelight dinner. We don't measure the depth of our relationship with anyone at any given time by our feelings at that particular moment, end quote. That is so true. If you could just nail down that one thing, it will revolutionize your walk with God. Because you'll stop relying on your feelings as an as a evidence that something is happening. When in reality, God is always at work. He never leaves us. He's always there working. We don't always see what he's doing or sense it or feel it. Habakkuk didn't feel God answering his prayers. Even though he poured his heart out, the nation was, was immoral, it was idolatrous, and he kept pouring his heart out and pouring his heart out. I finally got frustrated. Habakkuk chapter 1, right? He said, God, why, why, why am I continuing to pray? You don't listen. Nothing's happening. And God spoke to the prophet and said to Habakkuk, you think because you don't see something happening, I'm not working? I'll tell you this. I am working in such a way, if I would reveal it to you, you wouldn't even believe me for the magnitude. So you hang in there, and you keep praying, because I am working. I am always working. And sometimes you don't see it, but I'm working to bring about an end, a conclusion. Also understand that abiding is impossible without obeying him. We touched on this last week. I'll just touch on it briefly again. Chapter 15, verse 10, John, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Guys, the main idea behind abiding, is, as we have said, is remaining with or staying close to Jesus. You can't stay close to Jesus if you're walking in sin. Because you're going in the opposite direction. He's trying to lead you. He wants to bring you closer to God. You're walking in sin. You're going farther from him. That's why obedience is critical to abiding. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they what? Follow me. All right, we'll end with number six, the benefits of abiding. Some of these dovetail with others we've already mentioned. They overlap a little bit. I'm just going to fire these out. They're pretty self-explanatory. The benefits of abiding. First of all, abiding helps us to sense the leading of the Lord. Guys, through abiding, I develop ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And as such, I learn to hear and recognize the still, small voice of God. You can't do that if you're not spending time with Him in quietness. In quietness and confidence, 
shall be your strength, God said to Isaiah. Through abiding, I develop ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, tender heart to know where he's leading. I begin to be able to hear that still, small voice of God. Number two, abiding helps us tap into all, the, into all of God's spiritual riches and power. I'll let you read Acts chapter 4 on your own. But God had just used Peter to heal a guy who had been lame from his mother's womb. And uh, this created quite a stir and got the attention of the Pharisees and scribes. Uh, and so they dragged Peter and John into before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council. And this was the same Peter that stood out in the courtyard a few months earlier and denied Jesus three times. Now he's not only he's not in the court, he's in the very council chambers. And as the whole thing opens up where he's going to give them his defense. Acts 4, verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can read what he said. It was powerful. Boy, did he lay it on these guys. This was not the same Peter a few months earlier. Different man altogether. In verse 13, now when they, the leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They didn't have a degree in theology like we do. They marveled. Don't miss this. But they realized they had been with Jesus. That is the only criteria for ministry. You don't need a sheepskin. You just need to be with Jesus. Also, abiding gives us fresh strength for our day and our service. Isaiah 40, verse 31 those who wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or Jesus put it this way in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. We need his strength to walk with him, to serve him, and so on. We all know of Corey Tenboom, great woman of God. She had this to say on the subject. She said, and I quote, Connected with him in his love, I am more than a conqueror. Without him, I am nothing. Like some railway tickets in America, I am not good if detached. End quote. So you can't get detached from Jesus. You've got to stay in fellowship. Also, abiding carries with it the promise of answered prayer. Again, John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Also, abiding contains within it the promise of great joy. Again, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Guys, if you're feeling dry, there's a lack of joy in your life. Maybe there is anxieties, worries, depression even. The Bible talks about great joy. The Bible talks about peace. But you're not experiencing that. Can I just tell you that your spiritual gas tank is on empty? That When the needle is on empty, that's the manifestations. That is God's way of telling you you need to fill your tank up. You need to spend time with Jesus because the time you spend with him will be directly proportionate to your victory, your joy, your fruitfulness, and every other thing he wants to give you. We have to understand that. So often we, are, we read that in Christ I'm more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror? I'm barely hanging on by my fingernails. Well, there's a problem there. God promised you something, and you're not, you're not experiencing it. What's going on? You're not abiding in Christ. Oh, but I'm in the Word. I go to church. Again, we think that activities equal abiding. The activities come out of abiding. They're the fruit. Andrew Murray once again said, Abiding means going out from everything else to occupy one place and stay there. Come away from all else and set your heart on Jesus and his love. That love will awaken your faith and strengthen it. Occupy yourself with that love, his love. Wait for it. Be in his presence. Wait for it. You may be sure 
His love will reach out to you, and by its power will take you up into itself as, you ab- as your abode and your home, end quote. Remember now as we close, the context, guys, of abiding, John 15, is bearing fruit, right? That was the context. And let me say this to you, fruit takes time to grow. So be patient. James said, James 5, verse 7, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. I am really hoping and praying we are about to experience a latter rain from the Holy Spirit. We have been praying, and not just us, Christians all over the country have been praying and praying and praying for a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit. And I believe we've been patiently waiting for it, and I hope and pray, because I can't see how much worse it can get. Remember a pastor at a conference one time said, if you studied the 1700s in America, you think this great revival period and Finney and, and, and others were preaching, the people were being sent, sent out all over, the missions were exploding. Yeah, but our country went through a very dark period. It's a lot of sin, too. You know, wherever God's moving, the devil's moving. But it was in those days of great spiritual darkness that it prompted Christians to fall on their knees and cry out to God. And as they did, God, waiting for the right moment, at one point poured his spirit out, and a great awakening happened. The great awakening, first of all, the 1700s, there was two of them, another one or two in the 1800s under Moody. If you've ever studied under Finney and others, the Great Awakenings, they are incredible. And they were the result, I'm convinced, of people praying and praying and praying and not losing heart. And at one point, God says it's time and he poured his spirit out. I hope we're coming to that point again. But it's not easy for us. Let me close by saying this. It's not easy for us who are... Christians living in 21st century America. I mean, it's easy for James to tell people, be like a farmer. Well, they were all farmers, basically. You know, farmers have to cultivate, plant the seeds, cover them up, water them if it doesn't rain. You know, there's a lot that goes into farming before they see anything happening, and certainly before the harvest comes. But see, we're not, we don't live in an agrarian culture anymore. We live in an industrialized culture. And as such, you know, people that are farmers tend to be patient. They understand the process. But us, some of you guys have gardens. God bless you. I'm talking about farmers, though, okay? You know, I mean, some of you guys grow tomatoes and whatever. You know a little bit about this. But I'm talking about a culture that understands farming. We're we're not there. And um, it's hard for us. In the culture we live, where we've, we've become accustomed to getting everything quickly. I think it must have started with microwave ovens, okay? But from there, it's just only gotten worse. Um, you know, even to, the, to this present day, um, a new movie comes out. Not much we can see anymore, but a new movie comes out. You don't have to go to the theater and, and watch it. You can pay whatever streaming service you're connected to. And pay full price to watch a newly released movie. Not so, you know, you can watch something that's been out for a while, but now you can watch stuff that is in the theaters at that moment. And we're used to that. We communicate at the speed of light. We're used to super fast internet speeds where we click of a mouse, we're instantly going from one web page to the other. It's telling first service. When I first got hooked up to the internet, I had a dial-up modem. And honestly, and I'm not making this up, if I had to download 30 megabytes of something, I would literally, before I went to bed, click on it, go to bed, and maybe when I got up, it was done. Often it kicked me off. I have to start all over again. So when cable came around, I was thrilled. And now we have super fast internet cable. We've gotten used to everything being on demand which the dictionary defines as at any time that someone wants or needs anything on demand. We've gotten used to it, got hooked on it. And so this mindset tends to get carried over into our spiritual lives 
where we want instant gratification and return on our spiritual investment. I go to church, I read the Bible, okay, now God, what are you going to do for me? Well, that's a terrible heart, all right? Again, if you're doing stuff for God because you want stuff from him, you don't really love him. You love you. You know, we want immediate spiritual growth, immediate fruit. I want an immediate ministry. I know a guy that he's Christian, but um, he has trouble walking with the Lord. And there are times when he's gone back to church and been faithful in reading his Bible in the morning for a week. And nothing's happened, so he calls me and says, you know, I went back to church and I was reading my Bible this week and God never did anything for me. Because you're looking at your devotional life as a way to get things from God. When it should be a way to draw close to God. Your heart is wrong, get your heart right. It's not about what God's going to give you when you invest a little time. It's about how you're going to grow and live for Him and so on. But we think we should get everything instantly. Instantly. But that's not the way it works. It doesn't work that way in farming, literal farming. Would that be nice if you planted a seed, looked at your watch, a couple of minutes later, boing, the thing popped out of the ground, ready to go. That'd be great. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way in our spiritual life either. You have to water and cultivate your heart. Plant the word. And then you've got to keep watering it. Going to church, hanging out with Christians who will encourage you and so on. And eventually things begin to poke their way up out of your heart. New attitudes, new desires. Fruit. Let me end with these and we'll close. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. If we don't lose heart. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing by faith your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You serve God with a loyal heart, willing mind, the seeds you plant, they are not in vain. They are not in vain. He who goes forth sowing seeds weeping will, will come back holding his sheaves rejoicing. It's going to happen. Be faithful. Have faith. Walk in faith. Abide in Christ. That is the key to everything, guys. May God give us grace to experience the joy in the Lord that comes from us abiding in him every day. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've made abiding a possibility, a reality, if we will appropriate it by faith. We can't do it, Lord. We can't bear fruit. We can't manifest your love to a fallen world. We cannot manufacture peace or joy. These are all your attributes. And they have to come from you as we abide in you. Give us grace, Lord, to walk by faith and to start looking at these promises and saying, I can't do it, Lord, but you can certainly do it. And I look to you to live your life through me and to uh, make these things a fulfillment as I appropriate them by faith. Thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.